to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I'm your host, Francine Belly, and I show purpose-driven entrepreneurs and professionals a powerful pathway to become thought leaders in their field, attract their ideal clients, and impact millions of people globally. So don't get fooled. It hasn't always been that way. I went from being a frustrated and unfulfilled corporate employee to living a globe-trotting lifestyle, doing what I love, speaking across the world, and being featured in top media publications. I am on a mission to help a million entrepreneurs and professionals to become thought leaders in their industry by leveraging the power of personal branding. Join me and my guests every Tuesday for inspirational stories and practical strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make the money you deserve, and lead a movement to change the world. Today, I'm so excited to talk to Susan Pupula. She is a professional qualified human resource professional and coach, and she specializes in transformation, talent management, and engagement. And she believes in leveraging the value of all humanity to develop a mosaic world in the world of work. She's also a speaker and the author of three books, where she's going to talk to us a little bit later. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. Hi, Francine, and thank you very much for having me today. It's my pleasure. It's really a great pleasure to have you, Susan. So before we get into your story, tell us in your own words what you currently do. The way I sum it up, is based on what I believe and what I am about, what life is about, people are about. And I talk about human value optimization because I believe we live in a world that is very rich with a rich diversity of people, diverse in every way, shape or form. People talk a lot about gender, ethnicity, ability, but there are also the things like the way we talk, the way we think, the way we interact with the world, the, in, the interest that we have. All of those things, where we live, um, all of those things, they make us diverse. And that is rich. But you only have the richness of that come to fulfillment when we come together. And that's when I talk about the mosaic, as in, if you think of all those diverse different pieces coming together to create something beautiful that is bound together by common interests, values, and purpose. So th that, should I say, my overall vision for the world that we live in. And, um, and I guess there are three key areas that are, or three key things that I do. One is the work that I do with organizations, um, Mosaic Fusions, and that's really working with organizations to better understand what their purpose is, who they need to achieve it, how to ensure that they're getting the best from people and the people that work with them are getting the best from them as well. Um, then I work, do some work with young people. Um, and I say mosaic wise, because that means that they, and this applies to adults and older people as well, that they're wise to who they are, 
their wives to their um, value and their place in society at local, national and global levels. And I think that's more pertinent now than ever before in the world that we're living in. And then, as you said, I also write. And so I've written three books to date. Um, the first two are social perspectives. So touching the heart on Milton Kings, a social perspective, consequences, diverse to mosaic Britain. And that's when I really started thinking about the world from a mosaic perspective. And then the third, um, male perspectives on the value of women at work. Mm, I love that. So we're going to touch a, a, a bit more on the third book uh, a little bit later in our conversation. So that is really fantastic what you're doing, uh, Susan. So what would you say is your own purpose? To help to realize the value of people. So going back to human value optimization, um, there are two parts to that. One is for people to recognize the value that they have. The other is for people around to recognize the value that they bring. The workplace, education, wider society, one without the other, we're limited. Uh, and I, I guess for me, from when I was small, I was told by my mom, everyone's of value, everyone's important. It doesn't matter what they do whether it's the lady cleaning, the person managing the office or whatever it is, everyone has value. And that has followed me through life such that the times that I have lived in very privileged environments, gone to some of the best of schools, um, what have you, as I said to you in our conversation earlier, I'm privileged to live in a three bedroom house with a nice garden, um, countryside nearby me. And that has been very important. I mean, I mean, very much to my advantage during a COVID um, period where there have been other people that have been stuck in flats with whole families. But what I recognized is that if I had everything that I want for myself, and I do like good things, but if I'm surrounded by people that are in need, I couldn't really be satisfied and content within myself. So my purpose is really to help individuals real, recognize and realize the value that they bring and also to help people to see that in others as well. Mm, I love that purpose. My gosh, that is really wonderful actually, the way that you actually bring those two concepts together, really recognize the value that they have and then recognize the value that they bring. You know, you cannot bring something unless you really recognize that you have it, right? And exactly. it's so, so important. That is also like uh, the work I do and really revealing people. I always say like, you have to identify that first, then articulate and then communicate that, right? Exactly. So yes, that's, that's really, really wonderful. Wow, those, that is brilliant. And I love those three bedroom actually in the middle of COVID with the garden. <laughs> 
I'd love to be living in one of those three bedrooms. So that's wonderful. Well, you should come and visit. Um, I mean, I, 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 I'm an, I'm an official um, um, ambassador for Milton Keynes. For Milton Keynes. Um, we, we get to get out of London, exactly. Because uh, in London, to have this three bedroom, you have to have a million, actually, to get those three bedrooms. Unless you were fortunate to have brought the house property oh, 20, 30 years exactly, ago. Exactly, exactly. amazing exactly. how the value of properties has yes, uh, yes. risen over time. Exactly, exactly. So tell me, Susan, what is one thing that people don't know about you? Gosh, <laughs> the, gosh, that, that that's. I mean, there's several. I mean, uh huh. I know. Last um, time I was discussing with one of uh, the person that I've interviewed quite a lot of time, and I didn't even know that he was painting. Actually, so sometimes you discover things. Actually, what is one of the things that you actually the people don't know about you? Um, I'm an Essex girl. Um, <laughs> we've spoken. <laughs> <laughs> we've spoken about um, Milton Keynes um, and we've spoken about London. So I, I was born in um, London, but the first eight years of my life I spent in Essex. So I'm very much an Essex girl. I'm very much proud of being an Essex girl. Um, I also then I've lived in Nigeria um, and then moved back to England, lived in Milton Keynes. I mean, so I lived in London for a period before I moved to um, um, Milton Keynes, where I've been for about 18 years now, uh, with the privilege again of being able to travel to different places, interesting places. Japan was one of the places I visited earlier on. Mm. Um, curious as to how they had made such progress after the first yeah. um after the second world war mm -hmm. so i wanted to visit um japan um been to the states new orleans i call new orleans my second home mm. been to places in europe to haiti um to cuba driven by my curiosity about people and place yeah wow that is wonderful sometimes you know what susan you you actually revealed to me re that you are introvert right however you actually sometimes people just have this preconception that introvert people are some people who just live in their in, behind their computer but you know you love traveling as well right so you are like uh, uh, an adventurer or explorer <laughs> See? yeah well I, I guess two things to that um one is um, I am an introvert by nature, but we live in an extrovert world. Um, you could say COVID might say otherwise because we have to a large extent been contained within spaces because of COVID and lockdowns um, and all the cautions that we need to take. Um, but we live in an extroverted world. I mean, you mentioned, no, I mean, we both talk about knowing what you're about and being able to communicate that. You can do that on paper and social media and things like LinkedIn and all the other platforms make it easier to be able to communicate um, without having to speak. But we still have to speak to people. We still go out and network. You still have to put yourself forward um, and put your hand up in meetings and all of those other things. Unless you have a very conscious leader or people in the environment that actually looks for the person that isn't speaking out. So you have to 
um, you have to respond to the extroverted world in order to be able to get on and succeed in um so that's one thing but the other thing is um i guess there might be a misconception of what it means to be an introvert because um an introverted person is someone who typically um they they think and they process internally before they speak this is my layman's way of explaining it so they, they do a lot of thinking um a lot of processing internally before they um say oh this um before they put their hand up or express an opinion and so in, in terms of should i say accessing the world internally and processing things that way I from an introverted perspective I'm someone that is also a deep thinker and um, I never lost the why that of a child because if you think of when we're in school what's the first thing a small child says is why why that why this we tend to knock that out of children and tell them yes. not to don't ask speak. why. Yeah, exactly. Don't ask too many um, questions. Don't ask, which I think is unfortunate. Um, but I've never lost that curiosity. And that curiosity has very much enabled me to, uh, to be and achieve the things that I have achieved because it's that curiosity about places that meant that... Um, I went to Japan and I could tell you a, a specific story about my visit to Japan. Um, that was about year 2000 um, that had took me to places like Haiti to New Orleans. And I mentioned specific places um, as opposed to just going, I've been to New York and Florida, but going to the States and going to places like that and other places in Cuba, it's that curiosity that has driven me to do so. It's that same curiosity that has driven me to explore issues and things that has led me to write books as well. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, um, you know, explanation into the world of what an introvert is. And thank you for <laughs> shedding this light <laughs> into this world of an introvert. So, one of your books, actually, um, we, you mentioned that you are author of three books. One of your books is The Value of Women at Work, which I'm passionate about women empowerment and really getting, we talk about, you know, showing your value, knowing your value and getting your value out there. I'd love to know, actually, why you wrote this book and the key point that you are putting forward in the book. Okay. Um there's a critical part of the title that you missed out. And that is male perspectives on the value of women at work. So um, the reason for that is, if I think right back, that same period around 2000, I was doing um, um, a postgraduate qualification in human resources and for my masters, it was about women. And I came across a program opportunity now it had been opportunity 2000 and it was corporate organizations um, when they'd first started it they um, called it operation opportunity 2000 because it was by 2000 
this would have been achieved. They had key things to have been achieved. And getting to 2000, those things hadn't been achieved. And so opportunity now. 20, 21 years um, later, or 20 years later, because I started working on the book last year, we still haven't made the progress that we should have made. There's some amazing um, programs, initiatives, coaches, and all sorts of things to support the development of women. And I, I emphasize great programs, but when you look at the statistics, we still haven't made the progress we shouldn't have made, we should have made. And so the question then is, who are the people in the leadership positions? Who are the people um, making decisions? Um, it's, it's predominantly men. So I thought, why don't I talk to them and find out what do they think? What, do they, what value do they believe women bring? And what also do they believe gets in the way of enabling women to realize their value? And that's in terms of the way we as women interact and do things or what we don't do. And also um, the systems, the structures within the work environment and men themselves, the way they interact with us. And so um, for that, I spoke to 30 different men. Um, I say men, the youngest was 16, um, the oldest in his 70s. And we had conversations where they spoke and, and, and I was impressed, amazed because they were very open and honest. And that says a lot with how we interact with people. Um, how to how we do so that so that people can and the need to interact with people so that we can learn and understand their perspectives um, and so I would say there were generalizations I said 30 men it's quite a number of different people because they were from diverse backgrounds different places within the UK the states Africa um, Asia so so quite a range of men with diverse opinions, none of them would have totally agreed with each other, uh, which, which says that, okay, this isn't to say that this is exactly how things are or not as the case may be, um, but that then formed the frame and that's the basis of the book. And if you want, I can go on to tell you some of the key yeah. things. Yeah, I'd love to know what are the key thing or the generalization or the, the thing that's most surprised you actually that they are selling? So, um, and, and I will emphasize that these are generalizations. So this isn't to say all women or all men mm -hmm, are in mm -hmm. certain ways. Mm -hmm. But the, the first thing that comes out is when it comes to applying for a job, a man will look at a role and say, okay, there are 10 competencies I've done, let's say I've done four before. Yep. Three of them. Yeah, I can do those. The other three, I haven't, I don't know that I can. I might not even know what they're about, but I'll go for it. A woman, on the other hand, typically will look and say, I've done eight of these before. One of them, I, I, I know I can do this. The other, I'm not too sure. 
and she's less she won't apply for it unless she's encouraged so you, you immediately see a disadvantage mm. there mm-hmm. um but then go forward let's say an organization two roles um male and female um same job both were um both are interviewed both were offered the role um and it said to both of them the woman the salary is forty thousand. the typical female response is thank you very much i really appreciate that it's great um thank you very much i really appreciate that the, the man on the other hand he's likely to say or more likely to say um thank you very much i appreciate the offer however based on my research um, I believe I should be paid 50 or 60,000 and goes into the organization with 45 or 50. I mean, and some people will say actually that that also relates to people when you talk about ethnicity and social economic background that those biases might come to play. But the key with that is it automatically means that there's the woman is disadvantaged. So we talk a lot about um, pay, um, gender pay, and yeah. we talk about the disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So from that, it immediately told me that um, that entry point, a woman is disadvantaged, even though she's just as good as the man. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you then gave a 2% increase year on, year out to both of them, that that by that that disparity is going to grow year on year on year but the probability is as well that the man is more likely when it comes to pay reviews to say um i've done all of these things and he speaks in the i i've done i i i've done this i've achieved this and um he's going to say and i believe i should get a salary increase of and state what he wants. A a woman on the other hand is more likely to say, we, as in the team achieved this, Mm. we achieved that, we did this. Um, And her expectation is the organization is thinking greater good, thinking of all of us, and they are going to um, give her an increase beyond the basic but an organization with a limited budget or wanting to spend as little as they have to because they're thinking of shareholders mm-hmm. will probably pay him in line with what he wants or close to it because um, they're thinking if we don't then um, he might leave but they're less likely to do so even if they mm-hmm. give her a little bit more and then when they tell her, oh, this is the salary increase we're giving you, she might at that stage um, speak out and say, but I wanted more. But by that time, it's already late because budgets for salaries have been, um, fill- I mean, so the, the, they feel everything's filled so that there's no room to do so. And it goes on and on from there. I mean, I could say so much, but people could read the book and find out so much. But key with those things that I highlight is one, they say something about how we as females interact. Um, At one level, you could say we're more honest 
and we're more inclusive in our approach in terms of the we and not just thinking of what I want, but thinking that an organization will look after me because I'm working hard and they value me. Um, and there are two sides to that. One is um, recognizing that that's not typically the case in organizations. So at times we need to think about how we do things naturally and we might have to rethink some of those things. There is also something for organizations to think, what are we really valuing and are we dis, um, do we want women to have to behave and interact like men or should we be more conscious in our leadership, in our management and in how we approach things as leaders so we don't automatically go for the person that puts their hand up and shouts but we look further afield because that comes with promotions men networking and being more aware of what opportunities are out there um, because they were at the pub with a leader or a golf event or what have you and so they're aware and they say I want this but the female possibly more for whatever reason, she's less entitled in that environment, is less likely to do so. Because, and I'll conclude, because I'm, I'm just reeling this out. I conclude with um, the fact that it's easy to say, well, if women don't put themselves forward, then it's not our fault. It's not my fault as a leader, as um, a business owner. But the key is you're missing out because an organization that wants to thrive and be the best in the environment that we're in wants the very best of talent. And that's a mixture of male and female talent. So if we just go for the obvious, we're missing out. It's not about women replacing men, it's about women working alongside men. And that whole thing about conscious leadership I think it comes to the fore now more than ever before, not just because of gender, but because of the issues and challenges that we've seen coming out from a pandemic and how we move forward from there. Mm, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that is a brilliant lecture. Thank you so much for this insight, actually. It just gave me so many, many thoughts, actually, that I'm not going to ask all of those here. And we're going to actually talk about the greatest resignation, actually, and uh, uh, the impact of all those things. But uh, my immediate reaction to what you say is that this is like amazing kind of insight. When we are talking about the pay gap, when actually two people come with um, the salary, the, the organization offering a first base salary, the man is more likely to ask for more. Therefore, when we ask organization to publish perhaps their uh, you know, uh, salary, so how organization are going to publish those salary and how are they going to explain that actually the gap between the man and the woman with the same job was because the man negotiated more? How, how this is going to be possible actually to, to, are they going to kind of refuse every time that the man is asking for more uh, money because they may have a woman who didn't ask for that uh, gap, you know, for that increase? 
that's where I talk about the conscious leadership and I've worked with organizations where I've gone in and it's like one of the I mean reviewing what are you trying to achieve as an organization um, and so okay this is what you're trying to achieve these are the objectives organization level um, departmental level individual level what are the roles um, should I say looking at people's roles looking at the salaries that people have um, and and that has on occasion meant saying to an employer that actually there's this gap between what an individual is um, and what the, an individual is doing and what they're being, what they're actually being paid in, in terms of doing that review, um, and therefore you have to do something either do an immediate salary increase or do something which is progressive about um, increasing the salary over time. But what I've also done in that process is made it clear, uh, worked with organisations to say to develop a competency framework. So it's clear, these are the salaries at each level. I mean, and it is a range, but this is the salary. These are the competencies. This is what is at the next level. So you have to be achieving to be able to have an increase. Uh, it's, the, 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 should I say, the salary structure is set taking into account what's going on in comparative organizations, but there's also a wider understanding of what this organization, the culture of this organization and why it's beneficial to work in this environment. And so doing all of that structural work, the key then is having regular review periods that people and employees are aware of with that clear understanding of this is what we're about, our culture, what we're offering to you. It might be the flexible working, the ability to work from home, the focus on outputs, what you achieve rather than being in, in the um, yeah. office for long hours or what have you, um, the, the involvement in projects, but whatever it is, being very clear about what the organization is about and what the offering is, having regular review periods mm. and saying to employees that this is when we look at increases and these are the bases on which we do it. So it's not based on you coming to ask us, mm -hmm. this is how we do things. And it has to be done within that frame. Wow, okay. I don't know how many organizations are going to do that, but uh, yes, that, 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 that should be, you know, that is the brilliant model. And, and, and actually now talking about the great resignation and the consequence of the great resignation, which means that, a lot of people have less certain jobs, so therefore we are now uh, lacking some skills or some employees somewhere. And in some places, you can see that tension of the salary actually going. So the person who didn't resign, perhaps, is at disadvantage to somebody else who is coming and, um, you know, having, you know, because they are desperate to recruit new talent they are going to match whoever is recruiting in the same sector. And then it can also, again, widen the gap, right? It can do so. But then 
I mean, that framework that I mentioned is all part of um, the process of dealing with a situation where you have the potential of, um, the, of, res um, of great resignations in terms of a lot of people leaving um, and having gaps. When you're reviewing and when you want to recruit, so the thing is, so you, you, an organization might already be at a stage where they've had a number of people that have left. It, the easiest thing is to, to do is to react and immediately say, we've got to replace them, we've got to replace them, we've got to place them and be fully focused outwards. And I would actually say pause for a few seconds, um, a few minutes, I mean, and I'm talking about when I say minutes, that's possibly days mm -hmm. yes, and as opposed to but, but, but the key is pause, don't immediately do so. Try and understand what's going on. Why have they left? As I said, if you're clear about this is what we're about as an organization, you have the connections, the communications with your people, you understand what's going on, then it shouldn't come to so much of a surprise that people are leaving. And if they're leaving, it's because there's not a fit and they've decided that actually possibly a higher pay is better, or you're an organization that have said, everyone needs to come back to the office now. And they've reached the stage that that no longer suits them. Mm -hmm. So for me, if you haven't done that, do a bit of, take a bit of time to review what's really going on, what are the reasons, but also then focus inwardly on the employees that you still have, how are they getting on? How are they coping? Because for a little period, they're probably going to have more to do. Mm -hmm. And how can you support them? What's working well for them? What do they believe works well? What do they believe could be better? How can you support them in this interim period where you sort things out? Are your salaries at the right level? Because I would say to then say two things. One, if you're going to bring people in on higher salaries, then you should also look at the salaries of the people that you have and not just, um, it's the way the world typically works or should I say has worked, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but not just look at, okay, we need to draw people in, so we're going to pay them more mm -hmm. and forget about the people that we have. Mm -hmm. Because if you think of it from a consumer perspective, mm -hmm. what we often find is um, I was with BT virtually all my life. I was going to take that as an example. And so, you know, and no, they took me for I was just thinking about them straight away. Yeah, I, I actually grew up on BT. I mean, when I was small, we were with BT. Um, uh -huh. And um, it was just a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, a few years back, someone had said, oh, switch over to this service. Yes. It's better. And I was like, oh, no, I use BT. I've yes. used BT all my life. And then we had the Giga um, broadband mm -hmm. um, with fiber, the network. And it was like come over to us and I knew a lady that was in charge and I thought well let me have a look and do the comparison yeah. prices and it was like you there was this surprise right and then I called BT <laughs> and then I'd already decided and I was like I'm switching and they're like oh but you've been with us so long yeah 
that's how you you reward people have been with you for so long by you know milking them yeah i was in i was almost in tears (laughs) because i didn't want to leave but i had been i felt i'd been taken for granted and it was like better offer now you want to offer me this Mm -hmm. now you want to offer me that and it's the same with employees because exactly. linking back to the, the BT, research the bt syndrome i'm going to call that the B. <laughs> yeah but it's not just bt it's yes of course it's not just bt it's a lot of uh even providers you know yeah, they learn why... customer in with promotion and then you stay and then you know they keep increasing the price and then you leave and you find a better deal yeah and it's the same with employees so if you you if you you, you need to reward loyalty because otherwise it's just like when it comes to the telecoms because it's the same with mobile phones mm-hmm. as well what you'll find is people will shop around mm-hmm. stay with you for a year or so and then they'll switch provider but okay if the only reason for a person to come to you is because you're paying them a high salary then um and you don't treat them well the benefits aren't right it doesn't fit with their life outside of work then they're not going to stay around they're going to be headhunted because if it's that there's a skill shortage and that's why um, you were ready to pay so much there'll be someone else that has the same challenge that is ready to pay them even more definitely yeah yeah so inwards yeah, because also because the second thing as well is looking after the your current employees, mm-hmm. you will find that That's they will great. become advocates and ambassadors, mm-hmm. and they're the people that actually can actually help you in getting people in that are aligned to your values, your ethos as an organization. Mm-hmm. Now, um, very quickly, because we have like a few uh, questions still up to uh, uh, ask you, but um, for actually people who actually are still, people who have resigned. So I'd like to talk from two different perspectives. For people who have left their companies and are looking for something, what their next thing is, and then the second category of people, the people who are still within the company are thinking of want to go out, but kind of for whatever reason they have are not going out. What advice do you have for those two categories of people? One, people have left, who have resigned, and those who are still within the organization, but really, you know, are really, really thinking of, of moving forward. What, so- what would you you know, give them as advice? I mean, in many ways, it's the same for, for both people. The first thing is, why, um, what do you want? I mean, because if you're in an organisation, are you? is it that you're unhappy there? I mean, why did you leave? I mean, did you leave for something else that didn't work out? Did you just get fed up or what? Or, 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 or leave? Or were you, was your role made redundant? Or what have you? But whatever the case... Um, because it is generally better to know what you want before you leave. But I think the first thing is know what you want as best as possible. Um, and, and, and I guess keys to what you want is what are the things you enjoy doing? Um, what is important, what you enjoy doing, but also what type of environment you like. Um, you like. So what you want, knowing what you want, knowing why you want it as well. 
um, and also the why you. So, so what you want, why you want it, why I mean, um, why you, and that is about what is it that I have to offer. So, um, if I, I, I know why I wanted to write books, for for instance. Um, and that's because I wanted to write things that had an impact on people's life, made people a positive impact on people's life. Why me? Because I like, I mean, what is it that I have to offer? My curiosity, the ability to talk to people from different backgrounds and engage them and to be able to write in a way that it's accessible and people can engage with. So that's part of the, the I mean, my, the why of me. And then there's that before you get to the how of it but so with those first three things that's it's another one of those things where I say take a few seconds take a little bit of time to pause and work through those things if you're still in an organization there is a question can you achieve that within the environment you're in it might be a different role it might be um, creating the role because you're a valuable employee within that environment and there's some key things that they want to retain you and you'll be able to identify how you can help them to achieve things in line with what you want. So doing that thinking about, about those key areas, then further in line with the, the how of it, um, I'd, I always say, write it down write the vision down so be clear the clearer is the easier is one it's clear in your mind it's easier for you to express what you're talking about to other people because it's written and somehow things happen yeah. when they're in, in writing yes um also um develop find people around you and this is part of the how as because there is all there are all the things about social media but find people around you whether it's friends families business network so support networks allies so especially like if I go back to my book on the value of women one of the key things is women you need to have um, men in your network, supportive men in your network, as well as women, whether it's just as allies or mentors or what have you. Yeah, wow, wonderful. So I love that. I love this framework to really think uh, through those questions for both people who have left now, what, and those who are still within the organization using those framework to really see how to move forward in a much more meaningful way for the next steps. Wonderful. So now, knowing what you know now in your life, which advice would you give to your younger self to do more meaningful work and live a meaningful life? Trust yourself. Believe in yourself. Be kind to yourself. Mm. And um, so... And tap in. So, and, and I'm explaining that. As I said, I was clear about my purpose and what I was about in a way. It didn't necessarily form into this is a career for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I did, um, I did always want to write mm -hmm. from when I was small. Mm -hmm. I read Enoch Blyton, children's author, um, 
books made me happy. I wanted to make people happy. You can see, if you think of what I've said earlier, you can see that there's a follow through with that. Um, so that was key to who I am. So there was something about knowing myself, knowing what I was about. What I didn't know to do naturally was to tap into that. And if I had had that support network around me, the right people, they would have asked me why. They'd have asked me the why of those things. So as I mentioned, what do you want? I want to write. Why do you want to do it? Mm. And okay, it might have been actually, okay, you don't necessarily have to write to have a positive impact on our people's lives, but there are other things um, that you can do. Um, so, so it follows through from there to trust that process, trust yourself, believe in yourself, be kind, but also being kind to myself, um, not comparing, my, uh, comparing myself because I was compared. Uh, my, my sister just before me was a doctor, is a, is a doctor, my sister before is an accountant, mm -hmm. and there was Susan. What's Susan doing? <laughs> so, so that was a challenge. But then there's something about that's what trust myself, trust who I believe in yourself, and you will get there and, and enjoy the journey. Yeah, I love that. Yes, I love that trust in yourself and be kind to yourself as well. Yeah. Because as we know, we are always our harshest critics. And um, so, and really don't comparing ourselves, you know, as you say, you know, the, you have yeah. the doctor, you have the accountant, and then you have you. And like me also, I was in the middle of uh, eight people and I'm the fifth person in the middle and uh, where am I? So yes, yeah. do not compare yourself to others. That is the biggest lesson as well. So, and trust yourself, yeah. you know, those and, all yeah. are all linked together. And other yeah. people, other people will always compare you whether them comparing you to themselves or they have expectations of what you should be uh, for whatever reason. Other people can compare you, they will. You can't control whatever people think, feel yeah. about you, but you can focus not on what they think or believe, but know yourself. I go back to knowing yourself, continually working to know yourself and trusting yourself and recognizing that life is a journey and focusing on your path. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I can even add to my, from my perspective and from my personal branding perspective is that obviously other people are going to compare you, but you are in control of your narrative and what you want to put out there. So exactly. you can take control, definitely, yeah. and uh, do that, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and that goes back to that support system as well. Um, having good friends, the critical friends, the friends that will tell you when you are doing well, mm -hmm. um, but also that will challenge you when they yes. think you're rearing off path. <laughs> and that's friends in terms of friends that we have at a social level, but also friend I mean people within our business networks um I, I'm very much an advocate and I run the masterminds conversations and sessions where you have those trusted people and then the allies and the mentors and I mean and I mentioned earlier we were talking earlier mentioned Bruce Bruce yes, Russell, really nice. yes our mutual met. friends yes very yes. very wise and he's person a very wise person and wise he is mm. and um he has um when we talk about leadership he is um a humble he has a certain humility 
And so when we talk about allies and mentors, it's finding people like Bruce, because um, Bruce is an amazing person who takes the time to mm -hmm. listen to people yeah. and to be able to feed back to people and mm -hmm. feed in. And he takes pleasure in that. Yeah. And yeah. so wonderful. finding amazing people like him as well. Yeah, wonderful. Finally, what do you want to be remembered for? Um someone that cared about people that had a positive impact on the lives of other people um and, and i think one and i mentioned young people i mean it's every human being that i meet i'd hoped i have more of a positive impact than not um, and i specifically work with young people who have been in care and um if if I can have a positive impact where they will say, um, and like this year we're doing Christmas letters to young people who have been in care who might not be with, um, have family around them. And if I, can, if, if I can be remembered as someone who put smiles on people's life and um, faces and made their lives that wee bit better, by, both because of what I've done personally and how I have enabled leaders and other people in wider society to think and see the humanity in other better, then I think I'll have lived a good life. Wow, that is so fantastic. So how can people reach you and get in touch with you if they want to contact you? Um, the best way is um, if they go to my website, www.mosaicworld.live, L-I-V-E, um, then that's that's one way of getting hold of me. Or if I if you Google my name, Susan Papula, um, Papula spelled P-O-P-O-O-L-A, I am. I think it's fair to say that you quite easily find me. Oh, wonderful. Oh, my gosh, Susan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. It was really like, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And uh, yeah, so I'll see you next time, perhaps in uh, yes. another episode. Thank you very much for having me, Francine. It's, I mean, it's lovely. I've listened to some of your other conversations and I believe you're doing great work as well. So thank you for what you do. That is it for today. I will see you next week for another episode of this season eight. Hey, if you're ready to get more meaning in your life, make the money you deserve and lead a movement to change the world and become a recognized thought leader in your industry, you better get on my email list where I send unique tips and practical strategies every single week in your inbox. Sign up to receive my free personal branding checklist. This is a one-page checklist that will help you pinpoint immediately which of the seven areas you should focus on to create an influential personal branding and make a bigger impact. So just head over to francinebelay.com slash podcast. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash podcast. And until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Love, love, love.